Welcome, everyone. I'd like to welcome everyone who's here in the room and those who've joined us via live stream. Um, my name is Julia Pittner. I'm the executive director of the Institute for Palestine Studies. It's the preeminent institute for research, information, um, and analysis on the question of Palestine. We publish books and monographs and do events like this one today. Um, <clears throat> The Institute is pleased to partner with the American Friends Service Committee, um, who has brought our main speaker here today. They've been on the tour throughout the US, and also with Carnegie, who's hosting this event today. I'll give you a brief background um, of the situation into which the great March of Return was born. <clears throat> Gaza has been under a blockade or siege since the early 1990s, shortly after the commencement of the Oslo negotiations. That siege has varied, the blockade has varied in its intensity over time, um, with an intensification of it right after the um, takeover of uh, Gaza by Hamas in 2007. It eased a bit in 2010, but since 2013, it has been almost a total blockade of people and goods moving into and out of Gaza. Um, the blockade incorporates the land, the sea, and the air. Um, the population of Gaza is 1.8 million people. Um, <clears throat> it's basically locked in with restrictions on freedom of movement um, into and out of the Gaza Strip. The blockade has also undermined the, the living conditions now in Gaza. It has been growing worse and worse um, throughout the, the, actually since 2007 it's gotten worse. Um, so that today the World Bank and the UN are, are worried and alarm, setting the alarm that it may be unlivable by 2020. 70 percent of Gaza's 1.8 million population are refugees who fled or were forced from them ho their homes in 1948. The majority of Gazan youth under the age of 11 have been through three major conflicts. Those who are under the age of 18, the majority, have never even left Gaza to visit family in the West Bank or to Jerusalem. Although the literacy rate in Gaza is 96.9%. The unemployment rate among the Gaza youth is 70% today. Among the general population, it's 56.9% unemployment. The poverty rate now exceeds 80%. Into this situation, this movement was born. Today, we'll be hearing first from um, Jihad Abu Salim, who's the program coordinator uh, of, on Israel and Palestine for the American Friends Service Committee. Um, he's also from Gaza, uh, and he will um, talk a little bit um, about the work that they do. And he will also occasionally translate for Ahmed Abouteme, um, who's a writer and a peace activist, um, and is very much involved in this nonviolent protest that's going on in Gaza today. 
Then we'll also hear from Zena uh, Hassan, who's a human rights lawyer and a visiting fellow here at Carnegie. Um, she will lead us in the discussion. Um, then we'll open it up to the audience for questions. Um, we only ask that you keep to the questions, because we're not going to have enough time. I, I, I mean, I hope we get to everyone who has a question, but we want to be able to make sure that we can. And then the last thing I ask, um, is out of respect for the speakers, please put your phones on silent. Thank you. <laughs> Jihad, you want to start us off? Sure. Thank you, Julia. Good afternoon. Um, I'd like first to um, thank the great organizers of this event, the Institute for Palestine Studies and um, Carnegie Endowment for International Peace for hosting us today and uh, uh, giving us the space to have this conversation. Um, my name is Jihad Abu Salim. I'm, I'm Palestinian from a small town six miles south of Gaza City called Deir al-Balah. I, I moved to the U.S. five years ago to start a PhD in history and Hebrew and Judaic studies at New York University. Uh, my research focuses on Arab and Palestinian intellectual uh, works um, and writings specifically on Zionism and the plight of the Jewish people in Europe before the establishment of the State of Israel in the, in, um, in the first half of the 20th century. Um, more than a year ago, I left the Big Apple and I moved to Chicago in pursuit of love. Uh, my wife's from Chicago. And um, shortly after I moved there, I was lucky to um, join the Palestine-Israel program of the American Friends Service Committee um, that is there. And at AFSC, I, I joined a wonderful team of organizers and, um, and activists uh, and, and a, team that, a team that extends from the Bay Area, where we have our economic activism program, um, to Chicago through Philly and to Amman, Jerusalem, and Gaza. Um, the Chicago-Palestine-Israel program provides resources, mentorship, and training to activists engaged in educational and advocacy slash policy change campaigns related to Palestine-Israel peace and justice issues. AFSC works to change U.S. understanding of and end support for current injustice in Israel and the occupied Palestinian territory in order to bring about social and political uh, changes that will contribute to ending the Israeli occupation, guaranteeing Palestinian human rights, and building equality for Palestinians and Israelis. Um, our campaign... No Way to Treat a Child, one of the campaigns that we work on um, uh, from the Chicago office, uh, led to the first proactive bill in U.S. history in support of Palestinian human rights, H.R. 4391, of Congresswoman Betty McCollum from Minnesota. And the other campaign we have um, is called um, Gaza Unlocked. And this campaign uh, seeks to raise awareness in the United States on the situation in the Gaza Strip and to advocate to end the brutal blockade that rendered the Strip unlivable, as Julia mentioned. In 1948, AFSC agreed to the urgent request from the United Nations to take a 15-month engagement supporting displaced Palestinians from January 1, 1949 until March 31, 1950. Prior to that, AFSC staff uh, we're in the region on a journey to explore the possibility of helping to facilitate reconciliation between Arabs and Jews. 
So this shows that AFSC has been in the region for enough time since uh, the beginning and the unfolding of the current uh, situation. And, um, has, and our staff and, and our institutional memory has been very rich and really infor informing in terms of um, informing our work today. Um, early on, AFSC understood the centrality of the issue of return to the Palestinian plight. AFSC holds the position that Palestinian refugees uh, right of return must be recognized and justly addressed if the conflict is to be resolved. Ending the occupation is not enough. If the international community is serious about resolving the conflict, it must also recognize the central importance of justly addressing the issue of Palestinians' right of return. Any less, anything less is a denial of justice and will not resolve the conflict. Ladies and gentlemen, I, when I started working at AFSC last year, I started working there around the same time the Great March of Return in Gaza unfolded. And my experience doing this work has been uh, defined by addressing uh, the, the, what was happening on the ground and trying to raise awareness on the Great March of Return and the, and the situation in Gaza. And as the march was unfolding, my colleagues and I were left with many questions about what the march meant and still means for Palestinians uh, in the Gaza Strip and in Palestine and in the diaspora in general, and for the Palestine rights movement here in the U.S. In July of 2018, I wrote an article for the Journal for Palestine Studies um, exploring questions about what the march meant for Palestinians as it unfolded, uh, and especially that it happened in a context of fragmented Palestinian uh, body politic, blockade, and occupation. The Great March of Return highlighted the Palestinian refugee plight, and the decade-long blockade on Gaza. The march was a rare opening for Palestinians in the Gaza Strip to reclaim a factionally controlled political sphere. What was special about that piece I wrote to, uh, to JPS is that it was based on an interview that, I, that I, I did with our special guest today. I interviewed Ahmed Abortema, the Palestinian writer whose writings inspired the march back in July. And as I was talking to him, I realized that the march as a moment of Palestinian mass popular mobilization is a product of a, a compelling conversation that is taking place in Palestine in general and in Gaza in particular, especially amongst a, a, a generation of young people who hope to move beyond the, the stalemates of our time and their time. Our guest tonight is part of this conversation and one of the main contributors to it. At AFSC, when, we, when, we, when the march was unfolding in Gaza, we realized how important it is to bring this conversation here because how can we, as a Palestine rights movement, as friends and foes, as everybody, how can we move on with the discussion without relating and understanding and being aware of the conversations that are taking place in Palestine in general and in the Gaza Strip in particular, especially in light of the current blockade on Gaza that prevents Palestinians from, from leaving the Gaza Strip and prevents those who are out from easily accessing it. I haven't been back since 2013 since I left Gaza. So in July at AFSC, we had a dream, and our dream was to invite Ahmed to come to the US. Generally, when people in, uh, want to connect with Gaza, they do that either through Skype or video conference. But we aimed for the stars, and, um, and, and, and we're lucky to have Ahmed here today. 
Ahmed is an intellectual, and a, and a writer, and an activist in the true sense of the world. He writes about the people and for the people. His message is universal. He believes in peace and justice for everyone. He writes in a very poetic but yet accessible language about faith, social issues, social change, and political subjects. His writing is a mirror that helps us Palestinians reflect on our reality and aspire for a better future. His voice, like many voices, is unfortunately under blockade. It sounded like a dream in the beginning, inviting him here, but um, especially also that you know, planning to invite Palestinians from Gaza in the Trump era is also uh, a whole different level of, uh, of hardship. Um, Ahmed arrived in the US in January uh, of this year, and since then, he learned so much about the various struggles that are taking place, movements and histories in this land and of this land. He visited Detroit and spoke to black activists and organizers. He witnessed the de impact of deindustrialization and de-development of Detroit. We just came from New Mexico after he had um, met with indigenous people uh, and pueblos there. And our tour has been a very informative and rich experience for him. Before New Mexico, we went to the US-Mexico border. We, we participated in a service where people prayed on both sides of the wall. And um, we witnessed to the impact of fences and walls here in the US, and we related to that. Um, in every stop of our tour, we met with Palestinian American community members, Jewish community members, and spoke at universities, churches, synagogues, um, and at people's houses, we had honest conversations and, and we addressed the hard questions, and that's why we're here today. We have been really also overwhelmed by the love and support we received since uh, we went on the tour. We visited nine US cities so far, and we have two more to go. So allow me to introduce Ahmed. Ahmed, he's, he's a Palestinian writer and activist who believes in civil, nonviolent struggle to achieve justice, freedom, and equality. His family was expelled from their home in the Ramla district in 1948, and he was born in 1984 in Rafah, south of Gaza, where he now lives with his wife and four children. As an independent journalist and writer in Gaza, he has written for dozens of publications and authored a book in Arabic called Organized Chaos. He has also contributed to several documentaries, including Al Jazeera film documentary titled Which Rafah Are You From? about the tragic separation of Rafah following the Camp David Accords and its impact of displacing thousands of families across the border, including his own family. In 2018, he was featured in a documentary film by Karim Shah, produced by Al Jazeera News Network, Gaza Between Fire and Sea. His visionary writings about nonviolence inspired the Great March of Return in 2018, and his writings about the march have appeared in the New York Times, The Nation, Middle East Eye, and other news outlets. So without further ado, I invite Ahmed and I invite you to join the conversation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, thank you for uh, your presence. And thank you for the organizers of this event. And thank you for AFSC to organize my tour here in the United States. Ladies and gentlemen, I come to you from the Gaza Strip, which is a small part of Palestine. It's a narrow strip of land. 
you can drive through all of Gaza in only half an hour. If you are driving on the main street, Salah al-Din, that connect Gaza southern region with its northern region, and look to your right, you can see the barbed wire fences. If you look to your left, you can see the Israeli gunships that restrict the Gaza's beaches and access to the wider sea. Imagine being confined to the much to that much space. In this small territory, 2.2 million Palestinians live there, making it one of the highest population density territories in the world. Two-thirds of the residents of the Gaza Strip are Palestinian refugees, expelled by Israel in 1948. That means their families are from town and villages on the other side of the fence, in what is now called Israel. They are native to that land. I am one of those refugees whose family was expelled from our home in Ramla district in 1948. My town was captured by Israel and the original residents were forced out. Many died along the, day, along the way. My family settled in Rafah, in Gaza Strip. Gaza is isolated from the rest of the world and there one feels the denial of basic freedom. Most of Gaza's residents, especially those of my generation, have never been able to leave Gaza. They don't know what a freedom feels like. My first thought after I left Gaza was how happy I felt that I was able to travel freely at last. It felt great to travel in the car without reading a sign that says, the area in which you are allowed to move has ended. It was a beautiful feeling to move freely without seeing fences or walls. The Israeli government claims it withdrew from Gaza in 2005, but the reality tells another story. Israel controls our movement. Israel denies us the ability to rebuild our seaport and our airport, which was destroyed by Israeli warplanes and tanks in 2001, only three years after it was built. Ladies and gentlemen, on the 9th of December 2017, three days after President Trump announced he's going to move the embassy to occupy Jerusalem, I went for a walk with my friend Hassan near the fence separating the Gaza Strip from Israel. My friend Hassan pointed, pointed towards the east, saying, Look, this is the fence separating us from our villages from which our families were expelled. I was amazed that this fence imprisons 2.2 million people in the narrow Gaza Strip, 
preventing them from a freedom of movement and a normal life. That night, I posted on my Facebook. It was the moment before sunset. I looked at the birds and I saw them moving between the trees on both sides of the fence and no one stopped them. How easy the matter is. Birds decide to fly, so they fly. What if one of us sees himself a bird and then decides to reach a tree beyond the fence? If that person was Palestinian, once they reach the fence, a bullet will hit their body. Why do we complicate simple matters? Isn't it the right of humans to move freely like birds? What danger toward peace would a human create if he or she decided to wander in nature? On that day, I discovered the real reason to hate the occupation. I hate it because it disrupts my evening walk, because it's against the laws of nature. It clips my wings. It kills my dreams. At the beginning of 2018, the Israeli blockade imposed on the Gaza Strip was making life for Palestinians worse than ever. The destruction of health services, the cutting of employees' salaries, the paralyzed economy, and the continuation of the closure made life made life impossible. I wrote another Facebook post where I suggested that 200,000 Palestinians gather peacefully near the fence to demand a life with dignity and to demand the application of United Nations Resolution 194, which has enshrined in the inter in international law the right of return of the Palestinian refugees to their homelands. In this post, I said that we are people who want life and nothing but life. We are dying in our besieged narrow strip. So why don't we take action before we all die? I ended this post with a proposed hashtag, the great march of return. The post was received very well by Palestinians in Gaza, and it went viral. The idea spread so much that it became a social movement within the Gaza Strip. Why did the people decide to join the Great March of Return? Men and women, old and the young, all participated in these peaceful marches because their dream of return still remains. Even after 70 years, our people still hold onto the keys and deeds to the homes we were forced to flee from. We pass them on from generation to generation, and they prove our ownership of our lands and homes. People joined the peaceful Great March of Return because they love life, because they love life, 
and because Gaza is no longer a place where human beings can live. According to the reports, according to reports by the United Nations, Gaza will become unlivable by 2020. But if you go to Gaza, you will see we have already passed that point. In Gaza, food is running out. Our homes only get six hours of electricity per day, and then the electricity is cut off for 16 hours straight. Because Israel restricts the amount of energy we consume. More than 95% of water in Gaza is undrinkable and not suitable for human consumption. Gaza's Ministry of Health reports that it only has 55% of Gaza's medical needs. Out of Gaza's 2 million residents, Israel only allows a couple thousand people to leave Gaza through the earth's crossing every year. Many cancer patients die waiting for Israel to, get, to give them a permit to receive a treatment at a hospital. We have experienced complete economic collapse because Israel has enforced strict sanctions and Palestinian businessmen in Gaza. In the attacks in 2008, 2012, and 2014, Israel destroyed the majority of Gaza's factories and production facilities, rendering Gaza a complete wasteland. Gaza's unemployment rate is one of the highest in the world at 43%. And more than 65% of Gaza's families are living in abject, in abject poverty. These are not just numbers. They represent real stories of pain and suffering of families in every home in Gaza. The situation is beyond urgent. Would you accept a life like this? Or would you demand better? That is why Palestinians in Gaza went out to demand our right to live a dignified life and to let the world hear our voices. We can no longer live in this prison. Slowly and painfully dying, we started the great march of return because we have no other choice but to shout and hope that the conscience of humanity hears us. Palestinians participated in the March of Return because they love life. The Great March represented a scream for life and a knock on the walls of the prison. After this, we decided not to accept slow death. On the 20th of February 2018, my friends and I published a set of organizing principles for the Great March of Return. Among these principles, 
were that this march was a peaceful people's movement. This movement did not belong to factions, but to all of the people. They also stated that the march is rooted in international law and especially United Nations Resolution 194 and the Universal Declaration of Human Rights. Our demands were simple and honorable. We want to return. We want a dignified life. We want human rights like the rest of all people and nations of the world. On March 30 last year, the day the Great March of Return was launched, tens of thousands of Palestinians peacefully protested near the fence. On that day, women, men, the elderly and the children participated in the march together and raised the keys of their homes in Israel. Today, nearly one year later, Palestinians in Gaza still protest every Friday. Ladies and gentlemen, in the three months leading up, the, up to the Great March of Return, there was immense energy and a high level of participation in this new form of struggle for Palestinian freedom. This project brought all Palestinians from different political and ideological backgrounds together. Youth groups, writers, artists, humans, human and women's rights organizations, human and women's rights organizations, and journalists expressed to us their full commitment to the ideals and peaceful principles of the Great March. Even those who are part of Palestinian factions who engage in armed res resistance began to understand how effective peaceful struggle can be. The idea of the Great March of Return became a perfect opportunity to encourage the Palestinian people to fully embrace the concept of peaceful resistance in, in word and deed, in art and education. It made me so happy to see how accepting people had become of this concept considering I had been writing about this for more than 10 years. Israel had the opportunity from the beginning to capture this peaceful movement and encourage it. However, Israel decided to meet people's cries with explosive bullets and peaceful gatherings with brutal violence. Since the launch of the Great March of Return on the 30th of March 2018, Israel has killed more than 250 people and injured tens of thousands. Many people lost limbs and are now disabled. Sadly, Israel's violent response, Israel's violent response to the peaceful march added to, the challenge, added to the challenges organizers faced in the context of Palestinian political division. Israel took many lives, and Palestinians were shocked 
by the brutality of Israel, Israel's response. After months and years of advocating for the idea of peaceful marching, we struggled. Don't we have a right to peaceful protest? A right to express ourselves without being killed? Ladies and gentlemen, maybe some of you have heard the story of the paramedic Razan Najjar. Israeli snipers shot her in the chest as she was caring for the wounded. Razan, a kind young woman, volunteered to help the wounded at the protests. When she was killed, she was wearing her paramedic uniform. It was clear for all to see. She thought that her uniform would protect her. But the Israeli military targeted her anyway. The Israeli army killed Razan Najjar and killed her dream of a human world where peace prevails. I visited Razan's mother, who told me about her daughter. She told me that she once asked Razan, what if you saw, what if you saw an injured Israeli soldier while you are helping the wounded Palestinians? Razan answered, I will help him with no hesitation. My mission is a humane and doesn't distinguish between people. Ladies and gentlemen, the March of Return sends a message that millions of refugees must return simply because this is their right. The return of refugees of refugees is not a theoretical question. It's also practically achievable. According to a study conducted by an Israeli organization, most of the land of, on which refugees lived before Israel expelled them in 1948 is still either empty or has low population density. If the world had the will, it would be able to put an end to the tragedy of those millions of refugees, refugees and compensate for their losses, making it possible for them to live in peace with their Jewish neighbors. We want a solution based on, on the foundation of justice, equality, and humanity. A country where indigenous Palestinians coexist with their Jewish neighbors according to the values of citizenship, equal rights, and the implementation of international justice. While the Jewish people have a right to live in peace and security, it's not fair or just to solve a tragedy by creating a new one. When freedom and justice prevail, Security for all is a natural result. Ladies and gentlemen, can you imagine how people live in Gaza? 
If you were a young person in Gaza, you may turn 35 years old without ever getting a job, a place of your own to live, or be able to get married. To be a father in Gaza often means you feel ashamed because you are unable to provide food for your family. To be a young person in Gaza means you spend your whole life without seeing a river or a mountain or a lake. You won't take the train or connect with people from different countries who speak different languages. You won't even see a civilian plane in the sky carrying passengers. In Gaza, we see planes in the sky, but only Israeli military planes. The sound of the plane is linked in the hearts of people to death and horror. It's hard for us to imagine that planes are symbols of life and human progress. Israel claims the blockade of the Gaza Strip punishes a certain faction. But in fact, it's a policy of a collective punishment against 2.2 million human beings. We are struggling for justice, equality, and human rights. Netanyahu, just a few days ago, said Israel is a state just for Jewish people, not for all its citizens. Of course, we respect Jewish people. We live together. We live together in peace before, and we can do it again. Our problem is with discrimination. Our problem is with expulsion and occupation. The solution is simple. We need a country based on humanity, based on equality. Palestinians should have their basic rights, including the right of return for refugees. And Israelis, like Palestinians, should have safety, security, and peace. This all goes hand in hand. I met a lot of Jewish people on my tour, and I respect them. Some of them said to me, there is a deep fear if the Palestinian refugees go back to their homes. I said to them that if you want security, we can achieve that through justice, not with injustice. This solution will liberate Palestinians from occupation and liberate Israelis from fear. You cannot stay inside the prisons and inside walls forever. Let us end this before things get worse. This problem was created by policies and can be solved by policies. The solution is very simple. The solution is to achieve justice and equality for all people. Because they are humans, not because of their religions or their race or their or other things.
ladies and gentlemen. We can use our resources to build a better life for all instead of wasting them on war and aggression. A world where people live connected and safe will be better for everyone. Much better than a world of fences, walls, and fear. Let us stand on the right side of history. For a better future, for our children, we struggle today for freedom, dignity, and justice for all people. Thank you. Thank you, uh, Ahmed, and thank you, Jihad, for uh, being here today and for sharing with us some thoughts from Gaza. There's, Gaza has been in the news a lot in the last um, few days, uh, and I want to get to all these recent developments on the ground. But I really wanted to get um, more from you about how the organizing unfolded. I'm sure that when you made that, when you wrote that Facebook post and put it on your wall, imagining what it would be like to have 200,000 uh, Palestinians uh, converge on the perimeter fence and, and breach it, um, that you didn't think anyone maybe was out there listening. Or maybe you have a lot of Facebook friends. I don't know. <laughs> but, but in fact, between 40 and 50,000 people showed up on March 30th, but there had to be a lot of organizing <clears throat> that, came, that, that came about before you got to that point. So could you tell me how that unfolded? How did your idea transfer into this national committee that then organized this, this massive demonstration that has lasted now for a year? Yeah, I will uh, answer in Arabic. يعني أنا لا أعتقد إنه القضية كانت متعلقة بقوة المنشور أو بجهد شخصي مني بقدر ما كانت متعلقة بالظروف العامة المهيئة لمثل هذه الخطوة. I don't think the issue had to do with the the power of the post itself or with me personally, but what made that moment possible were the surrounding conditions and the broader context that that was then. الفلسطينيون لجأوا إلى هذا الخيار لأنه لا يوجد خيار آخر عندهم. Palestinians pursued this option because they had no other options. يعني عندما تضع إنسان في غرفة مغلقة وتمنع عنه الطعام والدواء، وماذا تتوقع منه أن يفعل غير أن يطلق الباب بشدة ويحاول أن يهرب إلى الحياة؟ When someone is locked up in a room and is and lacks food and medicine. Uh, um, what do we expect from this person but to try to escape and knock on the walls and the doors of his, of his prison? الناس لم يتحركوا لأن كتبت منشور هم تحركوا لأن كل الظروف كانت تقودهم إلى هذا الخيار People did not take action because I wrote a post People took action because of the uh, conditions that existed around the time the post was written والآن هناك خسائر كبيرة جداً وهائلة في مظاهرة سلمية وفقط سلمية بفعل العنف الإسرائيلي غير المبرر ورغم ذلك يستمر الناس في التظاهر. And now there are huge losses as a result of the Israeli brutal crackdown on the protest and despite that people continue to protest. 
هم يفعلون ذلك لأنهم لا يملكون خيارات أخرى لا يمكن التكيف مع الموت البطيء ومع السجن لا يمكن التكيف معهم People do that because they have no other options It's, it's, uh, it's impossible to adapt with the current reality in the Gaza Strip It's impossible to adapt with this, with this reality لذلك رسالة الناس من مسيرة العودة هي أن يطرقوا جدران السجن بقوة وبصوت عالي So the message of the people who participated in the Great March of Return was to knock on, uh, uh, on these, uh, hit the, the, the walls and doors of their prison and raise their voice uh, high. And that they wanted to say, we want life. I want to read something for you that was written by an Israeli journalist. His name is Yossi Klein Halevi, and he wrote this in the Wall Street Journal, and I want you to comment on it. He says, uh, this is a quote from, from the article, the march of return is an explicit negation of a two-state solution with a Palestinian state in the West Bank and Gaza coexisting beside Israel. If Palestinians living in Gaza, a part of Palestine under Hamas rule, still see themselves as refugees intent on returning to the Jewish state, then the only concession that can satisfy their aspirations is Israel's national suicide. The real message of the protests is that the conflict is not about undoing the consequences of 1967, when the West Bank and Gaza came under Israeli rule uh, during the Six-Day War, but about overturning 1948, when Israel was born. The goal is the creation of a Palestinian state between the Jordan River and the Mediterranean Sea, erasing Israel. Is the, is the Great March of Return about erasing Israel? The right of return is the essence of the Palestinian cause and it's enshrined and deep in the hearts and souls of millions of Palestinians. أنا في طريقي للولايات المتحدة زرت الأردن هناك كان هناك اجتماع مع الأمم المتحدة مجلس حقوق الإنسان وجلست مع العشرات من اللاجئين الفلسطينيين هناك وزرت مخيمات اللاجئين الفلسطينيين وجدت كم قضية العودة حاضرة بقوة على الجدران وفي النفوس وفي الصور وفي أسماء المحلات وفي كل شيء فالقضية ليست ثانوية بالنسبة للفلسطينيين on my way to the United States, I visited Jordan as I was uh, invited to meet with the United Nations Human Rights Council. Um, and there I met with dozens of Palestinian refugees. I went to Palestinian refugee camps and I was fascinated by how much the, the issue of return and people's connection to their land is still very present. You can find that uh, in graffiti on the wall, in names of shops and, and markets. Um, and also in the in the daily conversation and the daily discourse the, uh, that people have there, it's uh, uh, the issue of the right of return is very present in the Palestinian awareness and consciousness. وقابلت هنا أيضا في الولايات المتحدة مئات الفلسطينيين رأيت فيهم يعني القضية حيوية كأنما قضية العودة حدثت بالأمس فقط لا يمكن أن تجاوز هذه الحقيقة. And I also met hundreds of Palestinians in the U.S. and I witnessed to how to the uh, vitality of the issue of the right of return, also within uh, their com the conversations we were having, um, uh, and people were talking about return as if um, uh, the expulsion happened yesterday. 
um, it's only possible to surpass the right of return only in one case. If Palestinians of if millions of Palestinians, their descendants and their grandsons and daughters vanished from existence. But they will never vanish. So the, the, on, the only step that makes sense is to consider their right and to consider their, uh, their desire to return to their homes and towns and villages. We're looking for a formula where everybody uh, will be winning. And uh, a formula that is not based on uh, a side winning and another side losing. That Israelis and Palestinians live on the basis of their humanity and not on the basis of a dynamic where one side is an oppressor and an occupier, another side is oppressed and deprived of their rights. Our, our struggle is, uh, it's, it's about liberating Palestinians, of course, but it's also about liberating Israelis from, from fear and from, uh, the, uh, from living behind walls forever. Is that possible? Yes. For example, we look here in the U.S. Uh, many cultures and, and ethnicities and religions coexist together on the basis of uh, citizenship, on the basis of, uh, of human rights. And, uh, and um, there are Jewish people and Palestinians in the U.S. who also live uh, uh, close um, to each other, and, and it's working here. This is not This isn't only a proposed solution. This is actually the only solution that will guarantee justice and fairness for everyone. What could the other solution be? A two-state solution? Okay, but what about millions of refugees who want to go back and seek to go back to their uh, lands, villages, and towns from which they were expelled? It's, uh, we can keep postponing the problem without addressing it, but postponing the problem will not solve it, but actually it will increase the, the complexity of it. Thank you. I wanted to ask as well about um, the ability of the National Committee for the uh, Great March of Return, its ability to, to keep the unifying principle in place of nonviolence. So we've seen uh, some incidents where there have been incendiary kites and more recently where there's been explosives on kites. 
that is, is violating that unifying principle. What is um, the National Committee doing to try to prevent those kinds of activities and to keep the protests nonviolent? يعني أنا أريد يعني أنا يعني أن أتحدث أولاً عني شخصياً أنا كتبت على صفحتي وكتبت عديد من مقالات دعوت فيها الناس إلى ألا يستعملوا الإطارات المشتعلة وكل هذه الوسائل. So I wanted to speak on my behalf and I personally called upon people on my own Facebook page not to use burning fires and any of these methods. لكن ليست هذه هي نقطة البداية للمشكلة. But this isn't the the point of beginning of the problem. يعني الآن الفلسطينيون داخل داخل غزة أولا هم لاجئون ثانيا احتلت أرضهم ثالثا هم محاصرون رابعا مصادرة أحلامهم ومستقبلهم هم في حالة ضغط وشعور شديد جدا بالقهر وبالحصار Palestinians inside the Gaza Strip are under occupation they're under blockade uh, their dreams and ambitions and hopes um, uh, are taken away from them um, so, like when we when we talk about this, we should start from this point here. Most young people who were excited and participated in the Great March of Return. Um, they uh, it, they witnessed the the brutality of the Israeli crackdown on the protests and um, and when the brutality reached its zenith on May 14th, when 60 people were killed in one day, uh, people's uh, people's faith in in the the feasibility of using nonviolent uh, methods against Israel uh, was on the decline in light of the brutality and the losses that people witnessed. لذلك لجأ هؤلاء الشباب في هذه الظروف القاهرة لجأوا إلى التعبير عن غضبهم ببعض الوسائل الرمزية وهي رمزية مثل قص السلك الذي يمثل لهم رمز الحصار ومثل إشعال الإطارات. So to express their anger, uh, some of these young people uh, sought to use uh, those methods which are symbolic in, in the way they express anger like trying to cut the fence or, or, or set tires on fire. الفلسطينيون حتى اللحظة قتل منهم أكثر من 250 شخص في تظاهرات العودة السلمية وأصيب الآلاف والعديد فقدوا أطرافهم في المقابل ما هي ما هو عدد الضحايا الإسرائيليين من كل هذه الأعمال التي لجأ إليها الفلسطينيون سواء يعني التي قاموا بها بطريقة رسمية أو قاموا بها ببعض الأعمال الرمزية. Since the beginning of the march of return. More than 250 Palestinians were killed. Thousands have been injured, many of whom lost their limbs and, uh, and were rendered disabled. Um, but, but yet, on the other side, how many Israelis were harmed by any of these, of these tools and, uh, and methods that uh, you mentioned? العدل يقتضي ألا نقتطع مشهد واحد. العدل يقتضي أن نبحث في جذور المشكلة وفي جذور الأزمة. Um, fairness requires that we do not uh, focus on one uh, one aspect of the of the of the problem, but to actually delve deeply into the roots of the problem and understand why uh, things are happening the way they are. So, just this month, the UN 
came out with a report. There was an investigation done of, of the protests. And in fact, the findings were, um, as you say, I mean, protesters were being uh, shot while 300 meters away from the perimeter fence. Now, I need a visual when I think about meters. Since I'm a girl, it was grew up with yards and inches. So, so I thought about the size of a football field, which is about 109 meters. So it's about the length of three football fields away that the, the majority of the protesters who were killed were, you know, uh, were shot. So um, you're right. It's uh, the uh, use of force against the protesters far outweighs any of the, uh, the kites and these kinds of things and the, and the burning tires that have, that have been uh, utilized during the protests um, in terms of injuries and, and deaths. But knowing from that very first Friday when the protest started on March 30th and knowing how many people were killed on that very first day, does it weigh heavy on on you and others that are involved in the in the protests, knowing that every time you go out there, you're going to experience this kind of reaction from the military. Um, نعم وأنا أشعر بالحزن الشديد على كل ضحية جديدة كل ضحية جديدة هي خسارة لنا وهي خسارة للإنسانية هذا الضحية الجديدة كان يحمل حلما وكان يحمل طموحا في هذه الحياة وكان يحمل حبا في داخله لذلك كل ضحية جديدة هي خسارة شديدة تشعرني بالحزن الشديد I feel deeply sad when there is a new victim uh, falling as a result of the Israeli crackdown uh, because their their death and departure of our world is not only uh, 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 a loss for us, but it's also a loss for humanity. Those people who are being shot and killed uh, are people who have dreams and who have and who have uh, ambitions and who uh, who seek um, a, a better life and, and an education and decent life. So I feel I feel deeply sad and I feel deeply sorry when I see those young people depart our world. وهي تشعرني أيضا تشعرني أيضا في الوقت ذاته بثقل تكلفة استمرار الاحتلال القتل فينا والخسائر فينا لم تبدأ منذ الثلاثين من مارس نحن قتلنا بأيدي إسرائيل مرات عديدة نحن قتلنا بأيدي إسرائيل حين طردتنا من أرضنا وقتلنا بأيدي إسرائيل حين احتلتنا وقتلنا بأيدي إسرائيل حين قتلت واعتقلت عشرات الألوف منا عبر العقود الماضية وقتلنا على يد إسرائيل بالحصار وأخيراً قتلنا بيد إسرائيل عبر الرصاص المتفجر في مسيرة العودة. And what's happening to the Palestinians in the Gaza Strip is a reminder of the heavy cost of the occupation that were that we are rendered to pay. It, um, people in the Gaza Strip and in Palestine haven't only been killed since March 30th. People in the Gaza Strip have, and in Palestine have been killed since Israel. When, uh, when Israel expelled them from their lands. They have been killed when Israel occupied their lands. They have been killed when Israel arrested tens of thousands of Palestinians uh, and, and, uh, and rendered them uh, uh, prisoners in, in the dungeons of its presence. Uh, Palestinians have, uh, have been dying uh, also because of the blockade, the slow death of, the, of living under blockade in the Gaza Strip. So, um, what happened, what is, what is happening did not start on March 30th. It's part of the uh, heavy and brutal cost of being under occupation for that long time.
هذه الخسائر الكبيرة تعمق وعينا بضرورة أن ينتهي الاحتلال لأنه ضد الإنسانية وبضرورة أن ينال شعبنا حقوقه الطبيعية بالحرية وبالكرامة الإنسانية. These losses uh, make us more determined and deepen our understanding um, that the occupation must end because as it continues it incurs more losses on our part and we end up paying the heaviest of prices from our lives, from our dignity and from our future. We're not asking for too much. All we want, all we seek is to live in freedom uh, and dignity uh, like the rest of people in the world. We, we love peace and we want to live in peace and justice and dignity. Egypt has been trying to broker a peace of some sort or an end to the protests in exchange for some uh, concessions by Israel, including, you know, lessening the restrictions on Gaza, allowing more truck loads in and trucks out of Gaza, um, increasing the amount of electricity in Gaza. So this is negotiations between Egypt, uh, Hamas, and Israel, right? Um, and the idea is that Hamas can stop the protests if it wants to. Can Hamas stop the protests if it wants to? هي مسيرة العودة خيار شعبي وليست خيار فصيل واحد بعينه. The Great March of Return is a popular uh, choice and not the choice of a specific faction by itself. وهي حين بدأت بدأت بمبادرة شبابية. ووضعنا نحن الشباب وضعنا مجموعة من المبادئ التي دعونا كل من سيشترك في هذه المسيرة من الفصائل ومؤسسات المجتمع المدني بالالتزام بها. The Great March of Return started as a product of a, an, an initiative by young people and we the young people who uh, uh, started the march we put uh, forward a set of principles that we called on those who want to participate in the march from the Palestinian political factions and from the Palestinian civil society to commit to those uh, and consider those uh, principles. ولأن مسيرة العودة خيار شعبي فمن الطبيعي والمنطقي أن تشارك كل مكونات المجتمع الفلسطيني في هذه المسيرة. And because the Great March of Return is a popular option, it is logical and natural that all the components of the Palestinian uh, political uh, 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 Palestinian political scene participate and take part in the march. هناك من يعتبر أن مشاركة الفصائل في هذه المسيرات الشعبية هو نقطة سلبية ولكن بإمكاننا أن ننظر من الزاوية الإيجابية للمسألة. Some think that the participation of the Palestinian political factions in the march is a negative thing, but I th but in my opinion it's a positive thing. Um, uh, uh, Sorry. Uh, and that we, uh, and I think it's important to look at this positively. Because the Great March of Return and, and its principles encourage an, uh, the Palestinian people uh, to take part in non-violent and peaceful struggle. وحين تتوجه الفصائل إلى ممارسة النضال السلمي 
هذه فرصة إيجابية ينبغي على العالم أن يلتقطها وأن يعزز. And when the Palestinian factions consider participating in a peaceful struggle, uh, it's I think the world needs to capture that moment and encourage uh, that it's happening. لأن هذه الفصائل لن تختفي من الوجود سواء اتفقنا معها أو اختلفنا لأنها مكون من مكونات الشعب. Because those political factions will never vanish from existence. Whether we agree or disagree with them, they will always remain uh, major components of the Palestinian political scene and of the Palestinian people. مع الأسف بدأ سلوك إسرائيل وكأنه يقول لنا كفلسطينيين لا نريدكم أن تمارسوا النضال السلمي وكأنه يشجع فكرة أن نتوجه وأن نبقى في دائرة المواجهة العنفية. Unfortunately, Israel's behavior seemed as if Israel was sending a message that uh, you Palestinians don't take part in, in peaceful and non-violent struggle through the violent crackdown it, it launched against the, the march, and that Israel actually prefers to remain uh, in the, in the to, that Israel prefers that the cycle of violence remains and continues. So I'll just one more question, and then I'll open it up to the floor. Um, Ahmed, you had said that, um, uh, I'm sorry, I lost my train of thought for a second there. Uh, right now, we're seeing Hamas, uh, or I'm sorry, now I know. You had mentioned that um, you know, the whole purpose behind the blockade was to encourage Palestinians in Gaza to rise up against Hamas and overthrow the Hamas authority in Gaza. Uh, so they use, utilize collective punishment in order to see that um, affected. And now recently, we're seeing, in fact, uh, protesters uh, protesting Hamas rule and protesting the hike in taxes and, and the economic situation that uh, people in Gaza are living under. So do you see this now as sort of challenging a continuation of the nonviolent protests? Um, and now a, a diversion of the energy in Gaza towards Hamas, or do you think this is just a momentary situation that we're dealing with here? هو يعني أنا بعتقد إنه الأمرين منفصلين يعني مسيرة العودة شاركت فيها كل القوى ال ال الوطنية وكل مكونات الشعب بما في ذلك المجتمع المدني وفي ذلك العائلات لأنهم يعرفون أن تناقضهم الأساسي مع الاحتلال. Um, I think these are two separate issues. The Great March and the Great March of Return, um, all components of the Palestinian civil society, uh, uh, families uh, participated in the march um, uh, because they know that the main contradiction is with the occupation. أما بالنسبة للمظاهرات الداخلية فمن الطبيعي أنه ليس كل الشعب يؤيد حماس من الطبيعي أن هناك من يرفض حركة حماس And uh, when it comes to the protests that are happening in Gaza today it is natural that not all Palestinians uh, support Hamas and that, are, that, that there are people in the Gaza Strip who oppose Hamas 
وهناك عوامل يمكن فهمها بسبب قسوة الظروف الحياتية وبسبب صعوبة الظروف وبسبب أيضا أخطاء وقعت فيها حماس في طريقة الإدارة هذه ربما هي التي تغذي معارضة حركة حماس من جزء من الشارع الفلسطيني And the, there are factors and, uh, uh, and there is a context that, that uh, in, uh, surrounds the current protest in, protest in the Gaza Strip and this include the harsh reality in which people live uh, uh, the, the, the difficult conditions people are experiencing and uh, many mistakes that Hamas committed in its administration of the Gaza Strip that the combination of all those factors uh, would lead to uh, a part of the Palestinian people to oppose Hamas and take part in, in such protests. ولكن أريد أن أنبه إلى نقطة مهمة إنه جميع خلافات الناس مع حماس تتعلق بإدارة الشأن الداخلي ولا علاقة لها بالتناقض مع الاحتلال. But I would like to raise our attention to an important point. Most of uh, all of the disagreements that people have with Hamas uh, uh, focus on disagreements on administration and, and governance, and they do not uh, mean that, and, and those disagreements are not about uh, the contradiction that we have with the occupation. لذلك حتى الذين يختلفون مع حماس حين تكون هناك قضايا وطنية كبرى مثل قضية حق العودة ومثل قضية الأسرة ومثل قضية القدس ومثل قضية الاحتلال تجد كل أطياف الشعب الفلسطيني يقفون موقفا وطنيا واحدا. So even when it comes to those who disagree with Hamas, when, there, uh, when we talk about the uh, larger issues um, and the, the important issues like Jerusalem, like the prisoners and like the right of return, uh, we find everyone having the same stance. أنا أنا كنت في الساعات الأولى من 30 مارس في ميدان ملكة ورأيت مشهدا لا يمكن أن يمحى من ذاكرتي. I was present in the early hours of the Great March of Return on March 30th last year. I was in the Malaka part of Gaza, east of Gaza, and I saw a scene that will never abandon me. رأيت ناس على امتداد البصر كلهم يرفعون علم فلسطين فقط. ويرفعون مفاتيح العودة ويرفعون شعارات نحن نريد العودة ونريد الحياة ورأيت عجائز لا يستطيعنا المشي ويقطعنا كيلومتر أو اثنين كيلومتر مشيا بصعوبة من أجل أن يشاركوا في هذا الحدث الوطني الكبير I saw an endless stream of people in, uh, that reached to the horizon people uh, from all backgrounds and from uh, all components of the Palestinian society raising only Palestinian flags uh, in a non-partisan uh, spirit and uh, raising the, their keys of return and, uh, and uh, embracing uh, signs that uh, called for the right to return to their lands. And I saw old people who were barely capable of walking, who, uh, who walked for many, uh, for long distances in order to come and be present in the protest and say and express their, willing, their, their wish to return to their homes and be part of the march. لذلك اختلافات الفلسطينيين مع بعضهم البعض ومعارضتهم لبعضهم البعض ينبغي الا يشوشنا عن رؤيه جذر المشكله في الحاله الوطنيه العامه والمتعلق انه كل هذا الشعب بكل اختلافاته وبكل تعدداته هو شعب ينشد الحريه وينشد الخلاص من الاحتلال. So the disagreements of Palestinians amongst themselves and their opposition to each other 
should not make us forget about the root of the problem, addressing the root of the problem, that this is a, that the Palestinians seek freedom and, uh, and dignity and liberation. So I'd like to open it up now for your questions, Nizar. Uh, thank you. English or Arabic? English, I think you okay. uh, So thank you very much for your uh, talk. My question is specific about organizing. Following up on, on Zaha's question, uh, you said that you attributed the, the, the march for because of the situation, but the situation was the same in 2016 and 2015 and 2014. And I know that you did try to do similar uh, protests before, but you, you faced a lot of challenges and you failed. So can you talk a bit more about the many times you tried to make this march and the failures that you had, what were the challenges, and what was the lessons you learned uh, from that that made it successful in 2017? Yeah. Yeah. Answered. Thank you. Uh, yes, the, the, the idea of the March of Return uh, didn't uh, start in 2018. Uh, we, as, 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 uh, as, as youth, as, as activists, uh, in 2011, we called the people to share in the march in that time, and actually the people answered, and we saw in, in, in uh, May 15, 2011, we saw tens of thousands of Palestinian refugees, Gaza, West Bank, Syria, Julan, and Lebanon, uh, uh, Maroon and Ras, and inside Israel, tens of thousands share in the March of Return in 2011. And uh, uh, tens of them, of the refugees, were killed by Israeli bullets, especially in, in, in Syria and in Lebanon. Uh, uh, so, yeah, there are some conditions, strengthen this choice in a time, and uh, maybe uh, 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 weaken it in, in other times. Uh, I think, as I uh, as I said in my speech, in 2018, because of a mixture of conditions in Gaza, mixed between the right of return and the worry about uh, uh, Trump's plan, and uh, and from other uh, from other side, the, uh, the the hard conditions inside Gaza and the 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 the, the blockade inside Gaza, so push people toward this, uh, this choice. But I want to say something, that this choice is strategic. It will not end, because the reasons behind this choice still present, continue. Because we are people uh, in the diaspora, we want to return to our homes, and this is our normal right, and this is our human right, and this is our right based on the international law. So we, 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 we didn't forget this right since 70 years. So it's not ex uh, expectable to, to forget it in next years. Maybe sometimes the methods will change. This is normally. Maybe sometimes we calm down as a Palestinian people. But this right and this uh, struggle will continue until we uh, get our, uh, our freedom and our dignity and our return.
wanted to note quickly that there will be also be a program tomorrow night at the Plymouth Church in DC, Plymouth Congregational Church, with some other speakers. So people might want to go to that. I wondered, when you were talking, the FSC representative, about the children's lives being cut off, it sort of reminded me of child soldiers in Africa, or even in North Korea, where children throughout their lives live in the gulag. You know, is there any way that you can draw a parallel between the lives of children in Gaza and some of those other causes that are clearly have support? Yeah, I mean, um, definitely the experience of Palestinian children in the Gaza Strip have been uh, has been characterized by continuous trauma, by uh, by wit by growing up and uh, and witnessing uh, extreme moments of violence. In fact, uh, there there is a discussion now within the Palestinian. Uh, 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 psychiatrist and like you know, psych those who work on psychological issues community uh, about whether it's it's uh, it's proper to use uh, P before you know when post when we talk about the the trauma that people experience. Most of the young people who participated in the Great March of Return, those who were 18, 19, and 20. They were 10 years old in 2007 when the blockade started. Uh, and those young people, the, since 2007, they witnessed three major operations, uh, 2008, 2009, 2012, and 2014. So uh, it's really hard to imagine what that means for, for, for children to grow up and to live under such conditions. But... Um, we can find parallels. Unfortunately, Gaza is, is a place that we can find many parallels with different tragedies and, 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 uh, and issues all over the world. But in terms of how, uh, how crowded the list is, Gaza perhaps is perhaps home to a long list of issues and challenges that children face. In addition to PTSD, there is no access to good education. Now, at, in 2018, we started hearing about a new episode of the blockade where we're starting to hear issues about uh, malnutrition and, uh, and lack of uh, nutritious food because of the cuts in salaries and because of the uh, deterioration of the economic cycle, as the World Bank described it, that Gaza's economy has been in free fall. Um, and and the and the feeling of confinement. I left Gaza in 2013 to the U.S. and I haven't been able to leave throughout my entire life there. And like Ahmed said, you know, uh, I witnessed to his moments of excitement here, being in the U.S. as he was experiencing travel in the train, on the bus, on the plane. And I remember that about myself as someone who came to this to this country after living in Gaza's isolation for long years. And imagine what happens to, to the psyche and to the, to the ideas that people can have and build about the outside world. There is so much thirst for the outside world in Gaza. People have been yearning for a long time to leave, to experience, to hear other languages, to see things that, you know, that they can see on social media and on TV now. But they're told every day that they can't do this because of who they are. Uh, uh, I, I really can't, you know, I can go like for on and on talking about what 
what it feels like to be a child in Gaza. But I, I might just sum this up by um, something very personal to me. My sister, a uh, few months ago, she uh, she had an she has an Instagram account, and in her bio, she wrote, "My name is Hala. I'm 17, and I survived three wars." This is how this is this is the lexicon they have. They know the words that are that talk about war and misery and tragedy, uh, and people. These kids are don't even get the chance to reflect on their issues. I mean, thankfully, we have few organizations addressing PTSD and trauma. But, but trauma continues, and the blockade is every minute of the blockade that passes is violent. You know, sometimes people talk about seasons of violence in Gaza when Israel mows the lawn, using the words of the, of the Israeli military. But every moment that passes in Gaza without electricity, without water, uh, without dignity is a moment of violence. So, um, yeah, it's, it's hard. Mike, to you, just a minute. Hi, I'm Jim Covey. I'm a surgeon. I've been working in Gaza doing surgery last July and August. I need your help. We only know, we know, by the way, the only way to stop the demonstration is to change the government of Israel. That's the ultimate thing. We have a major lawsuit against people supporting the settlements. I, I'll give you my card. I need you to give me names and, of people who have been injured and then keep in contact with me so I can work on this. I have to run. Okay. But. Okay. I'm here. My question is about the tour. Um, I found what I was able and had the privilege of hearing today to be so important. And it makes me um, desperate and sad to think of how few people in the United States have heard the things you said today and how important they are. And my question about the tour is it is extraordinary that you've been able to come here and speak in all the venues you've talked about. What coverage has there been, um, particularly in you know, what we might broadly think of as mainstream media? Um, you quoted from that dreadful opinion piece in the Wall Street Journal. Um, but has the tour gotten the, any kind of coverage in the New York Times, um, the Wall Street Journal, or even in left press like The Nation, um, so that there's a further uptake, a further circulation of the extremely important um, words and information um, we had the privilege of hearing today. Um, yeah, thank you. Uh, so uh, Ahmed uh, was interviewed by Amy Goodman, uh, and his interview will, I think, will be broadcasted on March 30th and the anniversary, uh, the first anniversary of the Great March of Return. And Ahmed already has written for the New York Times and The Nation uh, and many other outlets when he was in Gaza. So uh, that actually, you know, like his writings that made it to the, uh, some of these mainstream outlets and left-wing outlets in the, in the U.S., uh, exposed us to the importance of the of the vision and the and the story he, he's telling. Um, uh, during the tour, uh, we mostly you know had coverage from local media and the places we visited. But let me tell you something about the tour. We went to Boston, Madison, Bay Area, San Diego, New Mexico, New York City, and we are today in D.C. And since the tour started, we have we have witnessed a lot of support. 
a lot of people were coming to all the events. We all, always have full houses, people even like standing up on sitting on the floor. Um, uh, and there is a growing interest in, in addressing this. And when people hear uh, hearts and minds change, um, uh, part of our the campaign uh, on Gaza that we have at AFSC, Gaza Unlocked, uh, which you can uh, read more about when, if you visit gazaunlocked.org, is to educate uh, the public here in the U.S., but also help shift policy in the future. Uh, Gaza Unlocked provides fact sheets, provides um, uh, important information on what's going on. And we recently started a blog, and we, for example, we did a, a writing contest a few months ago when we've, we invited young Palestinians from Gaza to submit essays in English, uh, which we had to grade as the bombs were falling in one of the cycles of violence uh, that, uh, that uh, took place. And uh, soon we will publish the, the, a booklet based on the top essays. Uh, it will be called Life Under Blockade. Uh, so what we're trying to do in Gaza Unlocked is to build bridges between here and there is uh, we're trying to break the blockade by uh, overcoming the not only the physical fences that exist between us as Palestinians and as supporters and as humans and those people who live there, but also break the psychological uh, fences and walls uh, and, and the, the fences and walls that exist in the, in the discourse, in the media, in the daily conversation. So we're working on that, and uh, we, we tried our best to connect him with um, many activists, and we, he was invited to many podcasts, and, he, uh, and uh, his, his words will, be, uh, will reach a wide audience in the, in the weeks to come. Go in the back. Hi, um, Ahmed, I wonder if you can jump back to something you mentioned earlier about in the context of the start of the demonstrations, uh, Palestinians in Gaza were thinking about Trump and the proposed peace plan. Now that we're just a few weeks away from when the administration says the plan will land, can you talk about your response to that and generally what you're hearing from people in Gaza about it? Yes. Uh, one one of the main reasons behind the the Great March of Return was Trump's plan, because the 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 march the organizing organization for and the planning for the march uh, start started after the after Trump's uh, 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 declare that the Jerusalem uh, he he will move uh, uh, the embassy to Jerusalem and. Uh, uh, and uh, what what, what uh, members of his ad administration said th uh, about uh, the right of refugees. So the Palestinian people feel uh, worried about uh, this plan. And so this feeds the, the, the idea of the March of Return. Uh, nothing uh, uh, was changed. So uh, we, we, demand, we demand our human rights. So this human rights unnegotiable. We want our freedom and we want our dignity. And we say for everyone that the, uh, if you want peace and stability in the world, the way to achieve peace and stability by 
supporting the human rights, supporting the people's rights. We, 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 we cannot accept any deal that uh, uh, which uh, uh, doesn't give us our human rights because it's our our human right to 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 live freely to move freely to uh, refugees return to their homes we haven't other uh, choices we're, we're at time but i wanted to give you both an opportunity to sort of have some last thoughts before we we conclude today would you like to go first jihad and then sure um, I would like to thank you all for being here today and you know for listening to us um, and uh, if there's one thing you know if I have a minute to talk I think uh, when it comes to the situation in the Gaza Strip I mean the situation in Palestine in general is is terrible nation-state law was passed settlements are being built in the West Bank land confiscation in the Negev Palestinians are still in the diaspora but when it comes to the Gaza Strip, there is a sense of urgency. Uh, you know, the, 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 the UN report that said that Gaza will, will be unlivable was issued in 2012. And that, that's the time of the siege, the time of the blockade is a very heavy and, and very tiring time for us to witness passing. Uh, today we're talking about a reality in the Gaza Strip where people are on the verge of, of starvation, where people um, are on, you know, like they lack access to medicine. We keep talking about these things, um, but, you know, I personally have been trying to make the case for why 2.2 million people shouldn't be under blockade, for why me personally need to be able to go see my family, for why uh, Ahmed's children need not to live in a reality where they witness bombs falling and, and things like that. So, uh, we are in the nation's capital, and you know um, I'm sure uh, most of you do work on policy and you know take part in decision making or in affecting decision making. And this is a an important moment to think of the people of Gaza, our families, our friends, people who who are like us. You know they want they want a decent life and they want to uh, to uh, uh, just to think of the blockade as a past event that they really wouldn't want to remember most of the time. So um, with your efforts and with your work, we could together highlight the, the stories and the pain of the people in Gaza, but also work together to put an end to this brutal and shameful blockade that, that rendered us uh, um, you know, under siege, cut from the outside of the world, you know, deprived us of our rights and dignity and made us really suffer. So those are my words, and I, and I really hope that what matters is not coming today. I mean, it's important to come today and hear from Ahmed. And, uh, but what really matters is what, we, what do we do with the words we hear? And the words entail responsibility. And, and once we hear them, we have to be up to that responsibility. Yeah. I want to say something. There are two powers in the world. Power believe uh, in, in walls and fences and occupation and discrimination. And uh, the, other, uh, the other popular power who believe in equality for everyone, justice for everyone, peace for everyone. So uh, what can we choose? Uh, uh, what can we choose? 
now we are in the 21st century. Can we imagine in this era, era of uh, communication and internet and planes and uh, dialogue between cultures and coexistence, can we imagine there are states until now they build more, more fences, more walls and imprison a whole people inside, inside these prisons. When I arrived here to United States, to Chicago, I uh, met hundreds of people, uh, train and activities and other places. So I wrote at that time, so the people are very similar. Uh, so why we build the, the walls between them? Uh, 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 the, the people are very similar. When the people uh, be closer each other, then they can understand each other. Then they can feel empathy each other. Then can be love each other. Then it will be more peace and more stability in this world. So when you imprison a whole uh, a whole uh, people inside the prisons and walls, you feed uh, the, 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 the hatred and the aggressions. Let us form a new reality, create a world better. This is not just for Palestinians, this is for all the people. The, the world based on equality, based on freedom for everyone, based on dignity for everyone, uh, no discrimination, no walls, will be more peace, will be more stability. So our struggle is one. Our struggle, struggle is one. And we have one enemy. Our enemy is the incubation. Our enemy is the discrimination. Our enemy is the, uh, 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 is the racism and the, disc the, the discrimination between people based on their color or their religion let us create a new world based on justice and we can do this thank you that's a great way to end it thank you thank you all for coming here